Broadcasting from the front lines. This is the Frontline Podcast. Welcome to the Frontline Podcast. For the past 30 years, uh, Ted Schimmer has witnessed firsthand the destruction of this particular type of addiction, marriages, careers, and lives devastated by an uncontrollable, all-consuming dependence. The statistics are shocking. Um, A pastors.com survey revealed 54% of pastors say they viewed pornography in the last year. A barter group survey showed 64% of Christian men are consuming it monthly, roughly equivalent to 65% of non-Christian men monthly. The most alarming statistics related to the uh, church's future are a 2019 Freedom Fight Survey of Christian college students who say that their faith is very important to them. 89% of these college men involved in collegiate ministry say they watch it. 63% of of this group watch it at least weekly, and 51% of these future Christian leaders say they are addicted to it. And only 7% of these churches say they have the resources to assist their members with its addiction. The countless pastors, church leaders, and Christians in general are withering under the shame of their current struggle. And with skyrocketing numbers of teen addictions, the next generation will be plagued with the underlying effect on an even larger scale. If the church doesn't equip their people to address the, the pandemic with really solutions, the results would be catastrophic. But here is hope. Mr. Schirmer's organization, The Freedom Fight, has developed a gospel-centered, scientifically informed, biblical approach to help those addicted completely recover. They are proud to provide a free program that can be used by individuals, small groups, and churches. Mr. Schirmer has also penned an accompanying book, The Freedom Fight, The New Drug and the Truth That Sets Us Free, where he explores the destructive nature of it, examines its six factors, and shares practical methods to overcome it through biblical and science-based solutions that lead to genuine freedom. I want to welcome our guest, uh, Mr. Ted Schimmer. Welcome, Mr. Schimmer. Hey, Mike. It's great to be with you. I appreciate you having me on. Yes. uh, Thank you for joining us. So this topic of pornography uh, hits really home for me. Um, I've been addicted because you're always addicted to pornography uh, since I was 14. So um, I'm 38 years old. And um, I actually came into counter to pornography by a friend um, at 14. He, he brought his VHA, uh, VHS tape over and he, he showed it to me. And um, I think, you know, since then, um, that really kind of changed my perception on how uh, sex is in marriage. Um, and, I, and I know a lot of Christian men um, really struggle with this and there's a lot of shame that comes with um, admitting that they have an addiction to pornography. So, you know, one of my questions is, and, and for me, it's, it's kind of hard to understand is why is pornography so hard to quit? Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, there's, there's multiple, you know, factors involved, you know, a lot of kids get involved because of curiosity. It's like, Hey, I got this tape of sex. Wow. You know, okay. I've heard about that, but what does that, you know, look like? But then when a person watches porn, you know, one of the things that, that we realize is 
You know, dopamine is the pleasure chemical that our brains release when we experience something pleasurable that our brains want us to remember and repeat. Mm-hmm. Drugs like cocaine artificially raise the level of dopamine, but so does pornography. And, you know, one of the things a lot of people don't understand, Dr. Michael Barta, who's done a lot of research in this area, uh, in the neurobiology of, you know, a porn addiction, you know, he says that when somebody has a porn binge, they can actually produce up to 10 times the amount of dopamine in the brain as is produced during healthy marital sex. Wow. And so there's a huge amount of dopamine released when a person watches porn. And so, and this is, and this is when it becomes, when it gets the hook, because there's already the curiosity, a, the pleasure, but when a person starts using that dopamine high, to medicate their negative emotions. And that's when the addiction goes to a whole new level. And really that's true with any addiction, Mike, is whether it's cocaine or porn, when a person starts using that dopamine high to medicate the stress in their life, the anxiety, the depression, man, that addiction goes to a whole new level because the brain, um, you know, the, the limbic system is their survival brain. And so it begins to go into survival mode that when a person has this negative emotion, the, the survival brain goes, oh, I know where we can go to feel a whole lot better. And so, cause here's a, a key point for your listeners to understand is dopamine is not only released when we experience pleasure, but it's also released in the anticipation of pleasure. Mm. So if I've been using porn to medicate my stress, then the next time I'm stressed, guess what? My brain releases dopamine to start the craving. And all of a sudden I had this huge urge to use porn because my body's trying to bring relief. And, and so, man, that, that's, that's when the addiction goes to a whole new level and it happens subconsciously. And so a guy just thinks this huge urge to use porn hits him out of nowhere. But when we go back and look at it, he can see how this negative emotion has been this this thing that he's been medicating with porn. And so that's a, that's a key element to understand about really any addiction, but it helps people understand, you know, a porn addiction isn't really that much about sex. Maybe it started being about that, but it quickly becomes how I medicate the pain and discomforts of my life. Now, do you find this type of addiction is more difficult to overcome than let's say if you're addicted to drugs? Well, yes. And, you know, when I, when I, you know, did my, my clinical training, you know, a lot of the people who were there were, you know, working in drug rehabs. And one of the things that they regularly said is, you know, Hey, I I help a lot of people with, you know, cocaine addiction, you know, alcohol. Um, But man, pornography, because it's so available, you know, if a cocaine addict walked around with a baggie of cocaine in his front pocket 24 mm-hmm. seven, it would be a much harder addiction to break. Right. Yes. And, and that's exactly what we're doing when we've got our iPhone in our front pocket. It's man, it's always there. Um, and so that's one of, and to be honest, it's like, I don't even need my phone because I can just replay that reel in my mind. Um, and so I'm one thought away from going back down that porn pathway. Um, and so that's one of the things that makes it so challenging uh, to break free from. 
Yeah, it, it, I mean, it really is. And uh, so in your book, uh, you detail what the six roots of this type of addiction is. What are what are the six roots of this addiction? Yeah, and you know, and I can I can you know delve delve into them you know more deeply if you want, but just kind of a, a quick overview. the The first root is the sexualized society, which you know is the most obvious root. It's just the fact that sex is everywhere, just like we mm-hmm. were talking about that the availability, and so it's really important you know, when we're dealing with that route, helping people discover their triggers, hey, their physical triggers, their environmental triggers. Um, Because again, helping people grow in awareness, like there's guys that once they start learning their triggers, they're like, I cannot take my phone into the bathroom with me. Because man, that's a trigger. And, And so the again, the brain, it's like, oh, I know what happens when we go here oh, let's release the, the dopamine to start the craving. Um, and so really helping a person understand, hey, what are those triggers? Uh, setting up boundaries, you know, is a crucial part. The second uh, route that we deal with is the addicted brain. Um, mm-hmm. And so really understanding, you know, the, the science related to the addicted brain and the fact that, you know, as Romans 12, 2 tells us that, transformation happens by renewing the mind and, you know, through porn, people build these very deep in uh, porn pathways that, you know, again, the brain just automatically goes down. That's how our brain operates. Once we do something repetitively, habitually, the brain, because it wants to be efficient, man, it makes it a strong pathway that you can start going down that pathway without conscious effort. And, and so it's not enough just not to go down that old pathway. We mm-hmm. teach people how to build a new pathway. And so that's the, the, the second route. The third route, which I mentioned uh, just briefly, is the negative emotions. And so that's where a person really needs to learn to grow in emotional awareness um, in order you know, to know, hey, what are my emotional triggers that are leading me down this path? Um, a fourth root of addiction is isolation. And, and I'll come back to that one just because there's some really interesting, you know, components, but when people are isolated, the fake intimacy of porn has a much bigger draw. And again, this is something, um, that happens at a subconscious level is pornography is giving people a fake intimacy. And so it necessarily impacts their real relationships in real life. Um, And to be honest, this is one of the reasons that um, there's this mysterious draw to porn that a guy can with his mind say, man, I want to give up porn, but really in his heart, he doesn't want to give up porn because if he's honest, man, it's, it's giving him, you know, much more than he you know, even lets on, on a, you know, conscious level, the fifth root of shame or the fifth root is shame. Um, and man, just the, the power of shame to keep men in the dark on this topic. Uh, you know, we lie to ourselves. We lie to others. Um, because man, sh- shame is a very powerful emotion. That's, that's one of the reasons I've got three chapters on that topic mm-hmm. in my book. Uh, and then the, the fourth or the, the sixth root 
it's trauma. Um, and so just, man, recognizing that, man, there's traumatic events uh, that have marked us in ways that one feed the shame, which feeds the negative emotions. And those, those three are connected. Um, and so it's really important, Mike, that when we address this issue, that we have this holistic approach um, that man deals with each of these six roots of addiction. And really, you know, the incredible thing is, is, you know, it's only been the last, you know, 30 or so years that we've really kind of honed in on, Hey, what are these roots of addiction? But the amazing thing about God's word is in Ephesians 4, 17 through 27, um, when the apostle Paul was talking to the Ephesian Christians who were struggling with sexual bondage, when he addressed, Hey, how do you, how do you break free from this? He actually addressed each of those six roots, which, you know, is really incredible. Just, you know, looking at the, the power and the authority of God's word that he's, he's been telling us the pathway uh, to freedom from sexual bondage, you know, for 2000 years. And the more we learn in science, the more it catches up with what the Bible has been saying all along. That, yeah, that's a, that's amazing. Um, you know, I find, so going back to some of your uh, six roots, you mentioned isolation is um, one of the roots I could tell you. So before I met my wife, I was more of a, an introvert personality. Didn't really have a lot of friends and um, I did find more comfort in pornography because it's, you know, it's not judgmental. It's, um, it's something that's, um, sorry, um, it's, it's more of something that is for you and nobody else. And it didn't require a lot of effort. And I don't know if, you know, from your findings that those who are more introvert, you know, less social are more likely to be addicted to pornography or seek out pornography. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that's a good question. I haven't looked specifically at topics that look at the, you know, introvert versus the extrovert, but I will say that, you know, there is a correlation that, hey, people who say they're more lonely uh, are more likely to use porn. Uh, and people who use porn are more likely to say that they're lonely, you know. And so it, sometimes it's hard to know which comes first. Is it the the porn usage that, cause I've, I've known a lot of people who were extroverted, but because their porn addiction, man, it led them to isolation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and so sometimes it's hard to know, Hey, which comes first? And cause I, I do think there's, you know, a symbiotic relationship that one feeds the other. Um, and so, but it is, it is interesting. I think you, and I really appreciate and just your authenticity and courage, man, just to share that. Cause I think that resonates Mike with a lot of people and just a, a willingness to man, to be honest with that, that because it's so true that pornography, man, it's a place where a person can feel a fake intimacy. And mm -hmm. so it's a place a person can go to feel wanted, to feel accepted, to feel significant, to feel enough. And, you know, when a, when a person, if a person is not feeling that in their real life, which, you know, all of us, you know, experience not feeling those uh, emotions at different times, man, porn becomes this place 
of significance, acceptance, um, you know, being desired. Yeah. Uh, and, and then when you, when you throw in oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical, when, when people have skin to skin contact, oxytocin is released. When a person has an orgasm, oxytocin is released at a higher dosage because this is the bonding chemical that God created to help husbands and wives bond, particularly in sex. And so when a person is watching porn and typically masturbating and having an orgasm, oxytocin is released. And guess what? They start bonding to the actors or actresses in the porn videos. Um, and again, it happens at a subconscious level. And so there's this actual emotional bond that takes place. And therapists call this dating porn. Mm -hmm. when, a, when a person develops this emotional connection. Um, and so if you think about it, it's like, man, there's a place a person can go with no work, man, no risk of rejection. And man, I can, I can have this bond, this fake intimacy in and the problem is, is when that happens at a virtual level, then that person's capacity to experience intimacy in their real relationships is diminished. Um, mm -hmm. And man, it, it really man, hurts their, those real relationships in this area. And so, and, that, and that's one of the things, man, you can see just man, why that would be such a, a draw. Um, and again, so much of this happens, you know, you ask your average guy that's addicted to porn, he's not going to think that he has an emotional connection with porn, but yet he does. Yeah. And a lot of guys won't even admit that they have a problem. Um, they, they would sit there and say, well, it's not a problem. Um, I'm not addicted. I was actually reading a uh, psychology today article and they said that it's a myth that pornography is a, is addictive. And I'm like, really, <laughs> really? As someone who was addicted to pornography, um, I, I think, I think that even cultures kind of, they're, they're kind of downplaying the effects of pornography on, on society in general, and just thinking that it's just not a problem at all. And I think that is part of, I think that's part of the problem that we have in our culture is just how they're not viewing it as an epidemic because it is an epidemic, especially in our churches. There's just a lot of Christian men, um, even pastors who view pornography. And part of it is because they have shame. There's, they're, they're, they're shameful to have to admit that they have a problem and also tell others. So how can, how can we overcome the shame, you know, as, as men who admit that they have pornography, because admitting it um, comes with shame, just admitting that you're, you're weak, you're addicted to something, you have no control over it, but how can we overcome that shame? Yeah. And, and that's, you know, and that's why I spend three, uh, the shame factor is so big. That's why, you know, I spend three chapters on it in my book because Man, it's such a powerful weapon of the enemy. Mm -hmm. We have an enemy that used shame in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was their first response? They hid from God, but then they also covered up and hid from one another with the fig leaves. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's exactly what happens when, when shame comes in. And 
you know, and shame is different than guilt. Guilt says I've done bad, but shame says I am bad. There's a self-loathing at the core of shame. Um, and, and so, man, guilt can help is good because, man, the Holy Spirit can convict us of sin. We can repent. But, but shame remains in, you know, condemns us in, you know, there's a, a again, a, a self-loathing at the core of it. And so, you know, being honest and open is so crucial. Um, and man, one of the sad things that, you know, the enemy does with this, with pornography is because the shame is so, you know, there's shame with any addiction, mm-hmm. but particularly for the Christian who struggles with a porn or a sex addiction, because it violates our values and morals on so many different levels. Um, and so, man, the enemy uses that to keep men in the dark. You know, as an example, one of the churches that we work with, the, the pastor told us that there's a group of, there was a group of 10 guys in their church meeting in an accountability group. And man, they were really trying to go after the deep, the deeper issues of life. And man, just really address them. And so this group of men in their 20s and 30s, they met for over a year before the first guy admitted that he was addicted to porn. Oh, wow. And, and then guess what? All 10 of them finally admitted they were addicted to porn, but they had been meeting in a, an accountability group for over a year. And that, that's the sad state of the American church. Mm-hmm. You know, really the church worldwide is, man, so many guys are struggling with this, but just as you said, man, we deny it, we minimize it, and we rationalize it. Um, our, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That man, our hearts are deceitful, but you know Hebrews three thirteen says that the nature of sin is deceitful. That we can become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, um, and you know, and I think just man recognizing the, the the spiritual warfare of shame and how the enemy uses that to keep us in the dark. Because if we're not going to you know, the Bible tells us, James 5, 16, that the first step towards healing is confession. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, and man, the enemy wants to keep us stuck. Yes. Man, stuck in our sin. Um, and, you know, and I don't know if you read any of the Robbie Zacharias, you know, investigation, all that stuff that came out. But one of the lies he told himself that kept him in sexual bondage was, Hey, I deserve this, mm-hmm. and this is my this is my reward. And so, you know, whatever lie we tell ourselves to keep us stuck, like, hey, I deserve this. Hey, I, I serve God's kingdom, and so, hey, this is okay. You know, this is my reward. You know, there's a million and one lies, and yet, man, the life that we want to live, the life that God has for us has to be, you know, it's going to be found living in the light and confessing. Um, and, and so that's one of the, the sad things, you know, about this, this whole deal is so many pastors, so many Christian men are living in denial and, you know, have learned to minimize and rationalize this sin for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and one reason they've, they've done that is they've tried so many times to break free 
They made so many promises. They prayed, God, you know, help, take this away. And yet, you know, so shame is one of the ways that they've been able to kind of operate like, well, you know, I got to tell myself this is okay because, you know, I don't really have any hope of finding freedom. And what I could tell you is, um, you know, that bringing your secret addiction out to the light is actually the best way towards healing. And actually, um, so like when I told my wife, she, she knows, so there's things she knows that won't trigger. So we won't watch movies that have any nudity. Um, and uh, so there, there are certain things that we try to avoid because she, she knows that it will trigger. So I think one of the hardest parts, because shame forces us to kind of be secretive about our addiction, how can a husband tell their wife that they have this secret addiction? Well, and let me, let me tell you first the wrong way to do it, that man really damages a wife in a marriage. Mm-hmm. The, the wrong way to do it is something that therapists called staggered disclosure. Staggered disclosure means, hey, you share a little bit of it, and mm-hmm. she thinks she knows the whole story. And so, man, she's kind of rebounds. And then a couple of weeks later, more comes out. And well, hey, I thought this was something in the past. And, you know, and then more, you know, and then she's on this emotional roller coaster. Uh, women who've gone through that have actually, uh, you know, been diagnosed with PTSD. It's so traumatic for them because it's like they think they've heard everything, mm-hmm. you know, and then, man, they're, you know, continuing to go. And so, one of, one of my mentors in this area, Dr. Ted Roberts uh, with Pure Desire Ministries, um, one of the things that we really follow his lead on this is, you know, he tells a man, hey, you, you need to get to a place of sobriety for a six-month period of time where you've put this to death, and then you tell your wife. Because if you tell her, before you have reached sobriety, then the temptation is going to be, well, man, okay, I just had another relapse. Do I tell her? Do I lie about it? Because I know when I tell her, man, it's going to send her on this, you know, emotional roller coaster. Um, And so really to serve his wife, man, it's important for a man to establish sobriety. And, you know, I mean, that's one of, one of the reasons why we, we have our free program online, uh, is so man, men can find freedom. It's a six-month program that uh, unpacks the principles of recovery, walks through those six roots of addiction in a systematic way. Um, and, that, and that's the reason is, man, there is a path to freedom. Uh, it's not an easy path. Uh, it's not something you can do by yourself. Individuals can go through our program, but we coach the individuals up early on on how to bring at least one accountability partner into the mix. Um, and, but, and so I, you know, to summarize that answer, a man needs to establish sobriety in his life in this area. And once he's done that, then he needs to have a full disclosure that man, where he shares everything in his sexual history. Um, and part of the reasons it's important for him to share the full ex- uh, uh, disclosure and the full sexual and porn uh, history is a wife, when she hears that her husband struggles with porn, she's automatically going to think somehow she's inadequate. 
mm-hmm. and this is her fault and um and you need to let her know that because probably you started your porn struggle way before the wife was even in the picture. And so it's helpful for her to hear that, to know that, uh, to know the history. Um, because you know, she, she needs to understand, Hey, this isn't related, you know, to you. This is my struggle that I brought into our marriage. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's an, that's an important you know, part not in our program. If a, a guy signs up as a married man, we have a married men's module mm-hmm. that is six videos that walk a man through. We have some other resources. Hey, how do you do this disclosure and, and go through that process? How do you begin to restore trust and help your wife have boundaries? And, um, and so that's a, that's an important aspect of this whole process, obviously. That, yeah, that is uh that's yeah, that's really interesting. Just first get sober in your life and then disclose rather than, you know, you're stone, you're struggling and you're disclosing. And then, you know, going through the, the process of being sober, you're putting your wife or your, you know, your spouse through the ups and downs of, you know, that come with recovering from the porn addiction. I I think that is um, very important for, for men to understand. And also you have to learn to overcome the shame part because shame is going to keep you in the, in the dark. If you, if you don't overcome shame, you're constantly going to have that secret struggle and it's just going to ravish your, your marriage. So you need to come to a point where you need to um, be more powerful than the shame itself and, and, and overcome that because, you know, the evil one is going to use shame to keep you in the dark, to constantly struggle and continue sinning. So you mentioned that um, pornography is actually undermining the church. How is how is this addiction un- undermining the the growth of the church? Yeah, and you know, first First Peter two eleven says, "Beloved, as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul." And, you know, if you think about how God chooses to describe how fleshly lust, like pornography, impacts a person. He uses warfare imagery. He mm-hmm. says it wages war against the soul. Man, the deepest part of who we are, uh, man, fleshly lust wages war against that. And it's been interesting, and I talk about this in my book, but there's been some really significant research done that show just how impactful this is. There's a sociology professor out of OU that did a six-year study of 3,000 people, and he looked at the impact of pornography that it had in different areas of their life. And one of them was their religious commitments. And his findings were that pornography use is associated with declines in religious commitment and behavior, like going to church, prayer, and it's also associated with an increase in religious doubts. So think about it for a minute, Mike. If you wanted Christians to be less committed to going to church, reading their Bible, and praying, and you wanted them to doubt more, mm-hmm. just get them to watch porn. And that's exactly what the enemy is doing. Um, is that man? It's it's you know corrupting you know, in reducing, shrinking the appetite that we have for God and the things of God. And man, it, 
that's one of the impacts of it. You know, the, the Bible warned us against it. You know, another impact that this six-year study of 3,000 people, and again, it's a peer-reviewed study, um, it showed that there was a direct correlation between the frequency of porn use and the probability of a person um, serving in their church in a leadership position. So think about that. So the, the specific example was if a person's not using porn, there is a one in three probability that that man would serve in his church. You know, those are pretty good odds, one out of three. Mm-hmm. If they started using porn on a monthly basis, it dropped from a one in three probability to a one in 10. Wow. If they started using porn weekly, it dropped to one in 20. And so, man, porn and you know and he he has a bunch of you know interviews and quotes of you know whether it's a missionary coming home from the field whether it's a discipleship group leader that's no longer leading discipleship groups because of the shame of porn man they they're on the sidelines the enemy is using this to sideline so many people from christian service um and yet the church isn't talking about it um and so man this is this is a, a powerful, you know, tool of the enemy uh, to sideline and the labors. I had a, had a friend, you know, quote, uh, you know, give a, give a, new, a different translation to, you know, Matthew 9, uh, 37 and 38, when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are addicted to porn. You know, know. and it's like, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's unfortunately, man, a sad truth that the church, man, has to address. So why do you why do you think the church is not talking about it? So in the churches I've been to, um, so I became a Christian uh, seven years ago. Um, I I've dedicated my life uh, to Christ, and in the churches I've been to, discussing pornography by the pastor was non-existent. Why do you think that's the case? Because I think that is one of the greatest um, weapon that the evil one is using to wage spiritual warfare on Christian men. And by going through the Christian men, he's able to attack the house. So why are pastors talking about that? That is that is like the number one, in my opinion, epidemic in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I and I agree with you because when you look at the impact and, you know, one more quick statement about that, that six year study. He also found that the more porn somebody, a parent watches, particularly the man, the less likely is to talk to his kids about spiritual things. And so, man, at every level, it's impacting the family. And, uh, and so, man, I, you know, in my book, I have a chapter called pastors and porn that, and in that, I, I kind of explore three reasons that it's like, man, if you look at all the stats and man, how widespread this is and how damaging it is, and yet only 7% of churches have any type of program or resource to deal with it, man, there's a huge miss. And so it begs the question, why aren't churches and pastors dealing with this? And, it, you know, and I, I mentioned three reasons, you know, one um, you know, two different, I cite two different studies that say that 50% or more of pastors are struggling with this on a personal level. Um, 
And, you know, unfortunately, that figure is only increasing as this younger generation because it's, it's higher among the younger generation. And so with each passing year, that figure goes up. You quoted that uh, pastors.com study. That was from 2003 that showed wow. that 54% of pastors looked at porn. So, man, do you think with the, the iPhone and, you know, all of those things, it's like, um, you know, so the, the real figure is, you know, higher. We don't know how much higher, but it's only getting higher with each year as this younger generation, you know, grows to maturity. Um, so that's a, that's a major factor. I think a lot of pastors, you know, they don't understand, um, man, just how one widespread the addiction is and how deep the addiction is and how damaging the addiction is. Uh, and, you know, they think, well, hey, you know, if I just deal with it at the spiritual level, that's going to fix it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as an example, um, you know, the promise that Jesus gives in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's, that's absolutely a true promise that we can claim. Well, a lot of people have claimed that promise, and yet they're still addicted to porn. And they're like, man, what happened to this promise? But, you know, you got to put that, that promise in context because the, the, the verse before that or the section before that says, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so it's, man, remaining in his word, and as God addresses this area of sexual bondage in, you know, Ephesians 4, he addresses each of these different roots, and we have to have a holistic approach that renewing the mind is one of the things that he talks about. And so do we, you know, and so when we only address this from a spiritual angle, we miss out on, on really the holistic approach that the Bible lays out. And one of those is understanding the brain science piece, mm-hmm. because when we understand the brain science piece, we know how to more effectively apply the verse about renewing the mind. And, but when we only have a spiritual approach, and to be honest, when we only take a spiritual approach to address a porn issue, it actually increases the shame with people. Cause think about it. If you come to the church and you're struggling with porn and I'm the pastor and I'm like, man, just read the Bible more, pray more, love Jesus more and quit your porn habit. You know, all that does is it multiplies the shame. It's not helpful. Um, because there is a, cause here's the bottom line is God's truth will set us free. But before it sets us free, it changes us in some key areas. And because it changes us, the freedom will last. Um, And so, man, this is, you know, Mike, this is actually an opportunity for deep discipleship Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of pastors don't recognize. And, you know, in their defense, uh, man, this is a multi-level level deal. And, and so it's not a, you know, a, an easy thing to, hey, know the, the, the path to freedom on. Um, and then I, I would say, you know, the third thing that I mentioned, you know, is just the shame factor. Um, that, you know, as an example, 
I, I sat in a sermon a couple years ago. The pastor did a great job of, you know, talking about sexual immorality and the, the Greek word is pornea, where we get the word porn. Uh, that's the Greek word used for sexual immorality in the Bible. And he, then he used that to talk about pornography. And then he said, hey, if this is something that you struggle with, we have some groups that can help. And so if you're interested, we have a booth in the back where you can sign up to get help. How many people do you think signed up at the booth in the back? <laughs> no one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like you're you're definitely not going to go to the booth in the back because even if your your long lost mother is there because it's like, man, I'm not going to be caught, caught dead at the booth in the back. The shame is so high. And even if he was to say, "Hey, come to our our meeting Wednesday night at seven, unless you're in crisis and your wife is giving you an ultimatum. You're not going to the meeting because right. you don't you don't know who else is going to be there, and you don't know who else you're going to be disclosing this you know this embarrassing sin to, and and so you know being able to navigate, and that's why one of the things that we encourage churches is we need to think of addressing this issue as an equipping issue for the whole church instead of a recovery issue that's just for the people with problems because when you when you open it up with, hey, this is such a huge issue. We need more people equipped to help others find freedom. Man, everybody, you know, a lot more people are going to go to that, the person who struggles and the person who doesn't struggle, but he has a buddy that does, or the men's ministry that's, you know, trying to, you know, help, or the youth leader who wants to help the youth that are struggling with this. Um, but also the guy himself who's struggling, he'll show up and get equipped in this area. Um, and so it's a, it's an important, you know, vision for a pastor to see, Hey, this isn't just a recovery issue, but this is an incredible opportunity for deep discipleship. Um, and then I would say kind of related to that is that most churches have a punishment culture related to this in their yeah. staff in you know, that, hey, it, so a guy, a pastor who struggles with porn, he's like, man, I can't come out and share that I had this struggle or I'm, I might be fired and then I might lose my job. I'm trying to, you know, provide for a wife and three kids. So I guess I just have to, you know, try to overcome this on my own. And, and again, the enemy is having a field day with that because that never happens. Um when a, a person stays in the dark, there you don't manage your sin, your sin because man the, the sin is going to grow. Um, and so those are some of the reasons. Uh, and so it's not just this. You know, you can see I I I, I have a friend that you know he lost his marriage, lost his church because of a, a porn addiction, and he he says of porn he goes man this is Satan's masterpiece. Mm -hmm. because when you look at all the different issues, it's like how destructive it is. And yet the church isn't talking about it. And our, you know, it's like, if our, you know, if anybody should be talking about it, it's our spiritual leaders should be pointing us to solutions. This is an opportunity for deep discipleship, for revival, for people to repent. Um, and yet no one's talking about it. And if they are talking about it, very few are offering real solutions that lead to lasting freedom. Um, Cause so often it's, 
shallow solutions, which, and I think this is, you know, an important verse in Jeremiah 6, 14, God rebukes his spiritual leaders and priests. And he says, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. And man, I, I think that's such a, you know, profound truth for spiritual leaders today that when we give the cliche Christian answers, peace, peace, but there is no peace. It's we're doing exactly what, what they did is healing the, the brokenness of the people superficially in, um, and recognizing, man, God has to do a deep work, uh, you know, in order for somebody to find freedom. And so that, that's been the encouraging thing is, man, we're, we're seeing people set free. We're seeing people, you know, utilize the Freedom Fight program in their churches. You know, we had a man, uh, you know, shared his testimony from 2020. He started 2020 uh, with a, you know, 15-year addiction to porn. That man was, you know, destroying his walk with God, his marriage. Uh, man, he, he had been through a lot of counseling, sex addiction therapist. He joined a freedom fight group through his church. And at the end of 2020, he was like, man, this is the first time that I've had weeks of sobriety, but not only have I had weeks, I've had seven months for the wow. first, first time in 15 years. And now I'm leading a, a group of men you know, I'm multiplying the effort and man, just to hear his heart that it's like, man, I have a ministry now that, man, I can help other men find freedom that, Hey, I found freedom. Now I'm helping other men find freedom. Um, and so again, man, it's a, it's an opportunity for, for discipleship and man, we're, we're seeing God do some pretty incredible things through it. Absolutely. And I think one of the keys um, in the discipleship is being open and honest about your your past struggle, because when I um, started opening up about this years ago to, uh, to other men, it actually led to other men opening up and realizing that they had a, a porn addiction and they actually found a way to overcome the shame of it by having other men admit as well. And I, it's a way to multiply um, other men to come forward with their addiction and I really want to tell men out there that there is freedom from porn addiction. It's not something that is impossible to overcome. It's not something that um, you're too far gone. Um, what can you tell to um, a, 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 another Christian man um, who's just feeling that there's just no way to overcome their addiction? What can you tell them? Man, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to break the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken. Um, man, the truth of understanding that really will set you free. Um, and man, freedom is possible. And, you know, understanding, you know, the holistic approach is important because when we understand the holistic approach, it helps us apply the biblical truths at a mm -hmm. deeper level uh, at a more accurate level. Um, and so we don't have to choose between, Hey, a biblical gospel centered approach and a scientific approach. It's like, Hey, we can, we can, the more we understand it, the, the more we can effectively apply God's truth, uh, to those areas. And so, 
man, I would just encourage men that freedom is possible. The enemy wants you to believe that it's not because as soon as you believe it's not, you give up, you start staying in the shadows. You're not honest. And so man, walking in the light is so crucial. Um, And again, that, that was the whole reason that we created our, our free program, the freedomfight.org, uh, is to help men and increasingly women find freedom, uh, you know, from this struggle. And, and so a person could go through that individually. We help coach them up on finding an accountability partner. We really encourage people to go through it in, in groups. Um, and so we have a leader's guide and everything that, you know, if somebody would need, you know, to lead an effective uh, you know, recovery group and, and man, freedom is possible. Um, and there is, and one of the things that, you know, I tell men is the goal is not freedom, but the goal is to run free the race that God has for you. You know, Hebrews 12, one says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. God has a race for you to run. He has a vision for you to pursue for your life, for your family, for your marriage. And yet, man, he says, we got to lay aside those things that weigh us down, the shame that weighs us down, the sin that entangles us. Because once we lay those things down, and then we can truly run the race that God has for us. And, and, and so I just want to encourage men with that vision. There's so much more... Freedom is that first step because God wants you to be able to run free towards the vision and purpose he has for you. Yes, absolutely. And um, if you don't live in a light, you're never going to attain God's purpose. So I want to thank you, Ted Schimmer, for joining me on the uh, Frontline Podcast. Um, Aside from your uh, freedomfight.org, where else can um, a listener uh, discover your books, your your program, so that they can seek out help? Yeah, well, and so our the book that just launched in November, the Freedom Fight, um, the new drug and the truths that set us free. People can find that uh, on Amazon. Um, you know, we have an audible Kindle, of course, print, uh, they can find that on our website, which on our website, we have bulk, um, you know, discounts if, you know, people want to buy, you know, a, a larger quantity of books, but the website, uh, the freedomfight.org is yeah the best, best place to, you know, to find us. Uh, we're also on Instagram, the freedom fight, um, as well. So those would be some of the best ways to stay connected. Thank you, uh, Ted Schimmer, for joining me on the Frontline Podcast. I want to remind listeners to be strong, be courageous, and never back down. Thank you for listening to the Frontline Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Also, be sure to check out other War Cry Network podcasts on warcrynetwork.com. Thanks for listening.